Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to The Coming Out Tapes, an audio archive of LGBTQ stories. I am your curator, Karis Bradley. Okay, uh, welcome to The Coming Out Tapes, uh, which we are recording on a very lovely, but thankfully slightly cooler Sunday afternoon um, in Victoria Park with uh, Kate Harford, um, who you've just done like a two-hour performance on the piccolo. and. <laughs> Now you've very kindly come to sit to do a recording, so thank you very much. Um, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, I'm Kate Harford, as well as occasionally playing piccolo for the London Gay Symphonic Winds, who are awesome and you should totally look up. I am a priest in the Metropolitan Community Churches. My main job is working in a university where I'm a university chaplain. Uh, I'm in my early 30s I can no longer really get away with late 20s uh, so I'm I'm a millennial very much so I was you know 14 in 2000 so I definitely fit in that bracket um, so I don't own a house <laughs> I live in Oxford uh, I've pretty much lived in and around the southeast of England most of my life um, so those are the pertinent things I and mean, I might be a bit throaty because I had a bit of a virus earlier in the week this isn't quite my normal voice it's got nothing to do with just spending two hours playing your heart out on the, the piccolo actually weirdly that does nothing to your larynx ah. that's all air and no voice I see it lips a bit sore though bit, yeah my yeah. cheeks mostly um and how off topic <laughs> uh, how, how do you identify uh, I am cisgender, so I, did, I align with the gender I was assigned at birth, and I tend to go for queer. Um, I guess people outside the LGBTQ world would tend to call me a lesbian because I've only ever had romantic relationships with women, um, but that's always felt a bit narrower than a bit narrower than I'm comfortable with. And I like the idea of an umbrella term that allows us to, you know, be really acknowledge the fact that we really want to be not straight and not straight is a really important part of that identity so it's not it's not that there's anything wrong with wanting to assimilate but that's not me so queer seems to suit me so what does the word straight mean to you it's really hard to define it without kind of given what i've just said without feeling like i'm being super rude to straight people i suppose i was brought up in the idea that straight was normal and in, there are many ways in which I didn't feel normal. I, I had mental health difficulties. I tended to be outside what people would call a normal weight range, or certainly a socially acceptable normal weight range. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways I never felt like I could be normal. And straight was aligned in with that kind of what it means to be normal in Buckinghamshire in the 1990s. So. 
So queer for you like takes that quite literal, not straight definition. Yeah, and not straight and okay with being quite different. Um, I mean, I talk about myself as cisgender, but like everybody, that has nuances. So for some people, because I have short hair, they will find that a sort of masculinizing trait. And the same with having a relationship with a woman. People, people who are not in tune with the LGBTQ communities will often ask that horrible question you know which of you wears the trousers which of you's the woman somebody once when I said I'd made sandwiches for my wife that morning went oh I'd always wondered so you are the woman in the relationship and that really irritated me because like we're both women but also neither of us is the woman and it, uh, the best analogy I've heard was uh, it's a cartoon of two chopsticks and a spoon walking up to them and saying so which one of you's the fork very good <laughs> yeah just it's it's different and I think queer has a real element of difference about it that I really like my girlfriend recently turned to me and said you wear the trousers in our relationship uh, which I think is ironic because whilst neither of us really wear skirts or dresses now like when we first started dating it was definitely me that wore the the dresses <laughs> um but yeah it's, it's such a bizarre one to navigate and there are so many ways to like say the wrong answer yeah, like I mean, I think I think I laughed it off because it was someone I didn't really know well enough to have that conversation with. Yeah. But there are so many ways I could undermine my wife by, um, oh yeah, I'm married as well. <laughs> could undermine my wife by saying, oh yes, that's right, I am dominant in these social areas, or um, yeah. like it's always been really important to her to be caring in a number of different ways, and one of those ways is that she's always wanted to be financially responsible, and some people would see that as a very male kind of trait but you characterize it in quite a feminine way like just then yeah exactly but it comes from a place of caring which is not yeah what was in the sandwiches probably tuna mayo i know and i don't eat meat or fish but oh i always things we do yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so back to you um when did you first start identifying as queer when did you first see yourself as queer I think I started to I just started to use the word gay about myself which is the other word I would use for people who are less comfortable with queer um I don't use lesbian it just it brings porn sites into my mind it's like it's one of those words that people use about us and I don't hear many people it's it's become more common in the community for people to use it but when I was a teenager and first coming to university no one called themselves lesbian it was a word that was said about you not for you um so that's my discomfort with that and again i know it's being reclaimed and i'll probably get over my squeamishness with it the same way that some people are really squeamish about queer so um i guess i was about 11 or 12 when i started to think that those words could apply to me but it was another couple of years before i started talking to anybody else about it properly um i think because i just i wasn't really sure i had the language i grew up around quite a lot of gay men um my mum in particular was still working in the theatre and in a drama school and without meaning to resort to stereotypes an awful lot of the tutors in the drama school were gay men see you're not the first person on this podcast to be like I don't want to revert to stereotypes but I work in the theatre quite a lot and there's, <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of gay men but it's a safe space I guess when you're when you're growing up if that's where you see your people that's where you build your life um I can I think that's how these things perpetuate um um, so you, so you were. Do you remember when, when you first sort of having those ideas when you were kind of eleven or twelve? Do you remember what those thoughts were or what they were about? I, I remember not being very comfortable with it at all. 
like as I say, I'd, I'd seen gay men, so I knew that gay was a concept, but I'd never seen or understood anything about gay women. It was around the time Carol from Friends was having a storyline about leaving her husband and going to have a baby with her with her partner, and it was all set up as if like being gay was a thing you did to piss straight men off. Um, I recently rewatched those episodes of Friends, and that is still the case. <laughs> they really were framed as like this is a thing that women do to make us mad. Um, and so that but also that didn't feel quite right because she was in a relationship and so I I guess as a kid I thought maybe until you're having relationships you don't have an identity or and then I thought well how does anybody like as an 11 year old have a relationship anyway and I'm pretty sure I don't want a boyfriend but I'm going to carry on putting up pictures of boys on my wall because that's what we're supposed to be doing so they were always very pretty boys Stephen Gately from Boyzone featured very very heavily on my wall and I now realize that if he was just a little bit more female he'd have definitely been my type um, so <laughs> I just clearly just went for the most the most availably non-binary people I could find in pop culture at the time and went right they'll do <laughs> um so do you remember when you so you sort of maybe started off using like words like gay mm. do you remember when you switched to the word queer reasonably clearly actually because it was um almost made into a political point at an NUS conference I was at it's going to be around 2005 maybe 2006 the NUS LGBT I think it's still LGBT plus the NUS conference now I obviously way past being an undergraduate and don't have much to do with it anymore but the, it was the NUS LGB conference and it became LGBT whilst I was there and that was already quite a big change but there was a big thing in the bylaws that said you could only be on conference floor if you identified and the words used were lesbian, gay, bisexual or trans. And I remember somebody coming up and claiming trans privilege because um, they could identify as queer or pan and still take the floor. Whereas other people who did, I remember an asexual person was actually asked to leave because they didn't. Yeah, it was it was harsh. And it was Saturday morning. So we were all super hungover and most of us didn't know what was going on. Um, which wouldn't have made it any easier for her, all these hungover people going, wait, we think this is wrong, but we're not really. Why is the room spinning? Um, but yeah, she w I, th I think she identified as female. Um, she was asked to leave because um, ace isn't in the categories. And she'd obviously come out to someone in the bar and instead of taking that as a confidence and, you know, they'd, they'd gone back with it to steering committee and said, well, this person defines outside of our definition of what it means. And so we started talking about a lot about actually having queer as an umbrella term and, and queer to mean um, actually my sexuality isn't that straightforward. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of biphobia in NUS conference in those days as well. And people who had partners who identified as the opposite gender were often told that they were taking up space yeah <laughs> um it's i mean clearly not cool and i know that that stuff still happens but this was 10 or 12 years ago and it's got a lot better i should uh, given that we're in a podcasting medium um all of the yeah there was uh, in response to pained looks on my face yes i was I wasn't sure whether to point that out yes um yeah. That sounds very Yes, yeah, so unpleasant. people formed a queer caucus in the NUS and originally it was um, kind of unboxing LGBT and saying we can be all of these things or none of these things and we can still be queer and we can still have a sense of belonging in this community. So I think that's why queer has such a strong belonging association for me compared to some of the other terms which feel like they can sometimes be quite divisive. Um, you know, we go to gay bars, not queer spaces 
and I think that's that can be a really uh, divisive element. You know, when I used to go out in Soho in the early 2000s, the women in GAY were always downstairs. You know, it wasn't even just that this was a gay bar that everybody was welcoming, it was a gay bar with segregated spaces within it. And you'd find more women at Trash Palace on Wardour Street, which inevitably closed first because the women's spaces often do. Or, um, or in Vesper, which is also sadly no longer there. But the men wouldn't go into those spaces because oh, we won't find our people there. So there was a lot of division and the idea of queer rather than just segments of queer in their own little boxes makes more sense to me and just appeals more broadly. Okay, um, so when did you first come out? I think the first person I came out to was an older friend at school who had probably long since left school, actually. She was in sixth form when I was, which is about 18, when I was about 12 or 13, and we'd met through an orchestra tour um, uh, because my school did that kind of thing. Um, And so because we had an email correspondence and she was a bit older, it just felt a bit easier. She was already at university and... um, but I was fairly cagey. I was talking about somebody I fancied and and it just went back and forth for a really long time. Um, after I'd eventually come out to other people, she did come back and tell me that she was actually gay. Um, but she hadn't wanted to tell me because she hadn't wanted me to feel like I was under pressure to identify with her or against her. So that was, that was a really kind response, actually. My school friends were generally less kind and I don't think that was their fault. You know, this, I, I guess I was in about year eight or year nine when I started trying to tell people at school. So 13, 14, 99-ish. Um, and there wasn't really anything we could see on the television that would tell us how to be. There was a really terrible drama with Alan Davis called Bob and Rose, which I think he was bisexual. So everybody kept trying to tell me to watch that because obviously, I, you know, that would... I don't know why they wanted me to watch it. It's like, you guys go watch it and then don't make any assumptions about my life on the basis of it. But mm. anyway. You might have ended up identifying like Alan da- like with Alan Davis. That would be... So wrong on tragic. so many levels. Um, I, d- I wonder what happened to that. It's one of those things that doesn't even come up on Netflix. It was so obscure. It just sort of flashed in the pan. Maybe Queer as Folk was starting to be on, but even then, you know, I watched that later as an adult and almost none of it really resonated at all because it's it was the experience of being gay in a big city at a later time in your life and it just wasn't my experience. Um, I did have some friends who were going to church and their response was a much less... I was going to say it was much less compassionate than I'd hoped for and I don't think that's very fair on them because they really thought they were being helpful and supportive but effectively from a particularly from one person I remember receiving a, a handwritten note in a lovely little envelope with a sticker on it that on the inside contained the line if you don't change I won't get to see you in heaven and that makes me very sad. Mm. That again is one where it's very difficult to like work out how you're supposed to respond to it. Yeah, and I would try and write back and say because we corresponded through letter about this for. I mean, it feels like it went on for about ten years because it's that time in your life when everything goes on forever. It was probably only a term, a school term, maybe. 
Um, I actually only threw the letters out about three weeks ago. I found them in a box. I was like, why the hell do I have these? Did you reread them? <laughs> yeah, one of them. And then that was enough. Uh-huh. And then I realised I didn't actually want them in the house anymore. And it was it was okay to say, actually, no, I, I now... I now really honestly think you were wrong um, and and to move on from that. But yeah, that, that was tough. And I used to go to, I started going to church with her um, and I think she needed to share it because it was the kind of church where it's, I think it's still quite a big deal. I, it's a church I still wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't walk into it with my wife. Um, and yeah it was just it was a big thing in the youth group sexual purity was a big thing like no sex before marriage and marriage is only between a man and a woman so that rules out any form of sex that doesn't cover their definition of what man and woman is which is a whole other strand I mean I don't thankfully I don't think any of the people who are in that youth group with me have turned out to be trans but it would have been dreadful if you were because the gender binary and gender norms were so rigidly enforced and you can kind of cope with that if you're cis because you can fit in with it and just sort of let the sexuality stuff slide and pretend you're not dealing with it and make sure you show up dressed like all the other girls and talk like all the other girls and you'll kind of get away with it um but I think the the friends I'd already talked to needed they felt they needed advice and leadership so they pushed me into telling the leadership who I didn't know very well and their whole response was negative it was there was no there probably were times when they said things like oh you know God loves you but and you just hear the but you know you don't hear anything that comes before the word but in a sentence like that it was um it was tough I mean I remember being there once and they they'd used me as a case study they changed my name and gender. So I, I remember they made me Andy, which is weird because that's my dad's name. Um, but I think they'd gone for it because it was one of the youth leaders' names. Um, and uh, and they changed me to male, so they changed all my pronouns. But beyond that, it was exactly what I told one of the youth leaders a couple of weeks earlier. And I, I felt really betrayed by it. And I don't think they saw it as a betrayal of confidence. Actually, I never confronted them about it. But I felt so boxed in that I ended up effectively going, yeah, well, Andy has no choice. He can never have a relationship. Um, He's completely doomed to be single. He has to do what God wants. He has to do what the Bible says. Nothing more to it. Stormed out, hid in the toilets for the next half hour and had a good cry about how horrible I'd just been to a bunch of teenagers, one of whom also might be queer. And so it was, that was really rough. Um, I think my parents would have much preferred I wasn't there, but I was... I liked what they were saying about God. There was a lot of trappings that I just couldn't get on with at all. You've stayed in the church? Not in that type of church. Right, So okay. when I went to university a couple of years later, I actually wanted to go and study theology and train for ministry. And I was told that I wasn't, I would lose my faith because I wasn't good enough effectively. Um, and that I'd never be able to be a priest. So I gave up on that. I went and studied theology, uh, archaeology um, in London, and I went to a really conservative church, which I don't name the church I went to as a teenager because that's a bit rough on them. 
but the church I went to in London is now very well known for being very homophobic so I don't think it does any harm um, the it was a church called All Souls on Langham Place by the BBC um, who have since done loads of work about trying to keep the Anglican communion together despite the threat of homosexuality and all of that so they're very very public about their views on homosexuality and I think that's partly why my church at home was so keen I go there because they just thought oh well if anyone can deal with it all souls will deal with it and it was it was just horrible um I stopped going after a while because I also realized no one was trying to build a relationship with me and church fundamentally church is about relationships with other people and relationships with God and it's really hard to have a relationship with other people if they forget your name week on week and I was volunteering for one of their social outreach projects and every time I went they'd have forgotten who I was again and I'd have to start from scratch again it just there was no at that time and I will say this was nearly 15 years ago now there didn't feel like the culture was very welcoming um and the whole the whole idea of asking questions was really frowned upon so if somebody said well you've got to do this because it's in the bible and you said but i'd heard that this was in the bible they go yeah well i'm right <laughs> like okay great thanks thanks for your input and that that was the response to any kind of difficulty um the christian union at my university were also quite active in that church um, and when I eventually left and started going to the local metropolitan community church, which is explicitly queer affirming, um, somebody actually came and found me at university and said that they'd heard I'd been taken off to this horrible church. And if I ever needed to come back to a proper church, I should just come and find them and they'd help me get out. I was like, yeah, thanks. But you're the ones I was trying to escape from. But I mean, I didn't say that because how can you? I just kind of mumbled something about, oh, it was nice of you. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, school was generally fine. It was just that that little enclave of what was going on, which crossed the lines between school and church, was making, making things quite difficult, and crossed into other areas as well. Like a lot of people at my church also played at the in the youth orchestra I played with, so you were never quite... I was never quite away from that atmosphere and that environment. I didn't realise until I'd left how damaging that was. Um, so when, how d when did you um, decide that you wanted to be a, a chaplain? That came quite a lot later. I'd, I'd done my archaeology degree, which I did in London, um, and the whole time I was at a university that is incredibly proud of its secular heritage and equates secular with atheist um, and so there wasn't really much of a chaplaincy presence to speak of so I was my fifth year there before I actually met the chaplain and that was because I was doing a job where it made sense for us to have met um, and at that point I'd been starting to think about what to do next and I definitely started thinking about revisiting studying theology and going forward for ordination but not in the Church of England anymore. That door had very firmly closed. Um, hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I realised that I'd been in higher education for the whole time since I left school, which wasn't a huge amount of time at that point, but felt like a lifetime. And working in student support and in universities or even in settings like hospitals, it just seemed like a really good place to do ministry. Um, The way that MCC churches tend to work, that the pastor is funded through the gifts of the congregation, so a lot of our pastors are bivocational so you tend to go into the ministry thinking well if I am I will be in a church but I'll probably also need another vocation another job and chaplaincy felt like a really good fit there Um, and then I was just lucky that about eight or nine months after I finished my postgrad studies in theology a job came up in Oxford which is where I'd been studying so I already knew the city um, so I went back there. So I'm at Oxford Brooks. Um, um, so you, uh, so you went to a church where you were made to feel very un- unwelcome because of your sexuality, and then you found a church that was very comfortable with your sexuality. Yeah. Do you think that either of those churches changed your relationship either with your sexuality or with your faith? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't really have a faith to speak of until I started going to the first church. Um, So, you know, I have them to thank for that, at least. And I was confirmed there, um, which, because it was a Church of England church, it's... when, When the Church of England was just in its infancy, when it was still really a Catholic, a branch of the Catholic church, the bishops didn't have time to come around and baptise all the babies. So they'd get the babies baptised by the local priest and then the bishop would come around and go, yes, I confirm you have baptised this baby. That's what confirmation comes from. Ah. Um, But now it's kind of a rite of passage when you're a teenager. So I went through that when I was 18 because it felt important to have made a decision that I was going to carry on trying to build this relationship with God, whatever God might prove to be in my life when I moved away and went, went off to university um but i think i started to really be able to build a relationship with god when i was at a church that didn't put barriers in my way i didn't feel like every prayer had to start with hi god so i'm really sorry that i'm gay um but rather actually so i could just pray the way that you're taught to pray which is just you know the traditional formula of um, naming God and describing God and then talking about 
um, the needs of the world and actually think beyond myself because my prayers had also been super selfish when I was stuck in this bubble of like everything I am is not meant to be gay that's that's my whole identity my whole identity is not meant to be gay um and I mean my mental health suffered enormously um and that was just brought in as evidence for how I wasn't meant to be gay because if God wanted me to be gay then I wouldn't be struggling so much with bulimia and self-harm and everything else because I'd be doing what God wanted which is such horseshit. <laughs> I mean it's just I don't I don't like to be so rude about other people's theologies but it's so obviously fundamentally wrong like clearly the reason there are high levels of mental health difficulties in the LGBTQ communities is because we all face multiple oppressions and and the the it, I guess you could almost call it gaslighting it's like to put you down and tell you you're no good and then tell you that the outcomes of that cycle are also your fault it's really destructive but it's been taught for so many generations through the church that it's it's subconscious now nobody really i don't think a lot of people in the church really understand the damage that that's doing it is being undone bit by bit and the churches where you'll find that kind of teaching are getting fewer um people like vicky beeching who have come out really publicly and had a massive impact in evangelical circles which is the kind of church i was in um, it's really made a difference but suddenly having that barrier removed and being able to and having somebody say to you no it's okay if we're all made in the image of god then so are you and just you know just try and have a relationship without worrying or covering up or feeling like you have to lie about anything because i kind of like i was I was trying to pray that I wanted to be straight, but I didn't really think I did. And then I'm like, oh, well, now I'm lying to God. <laughs> I'm doing everything wrong. Um, so that was completely transformative. And I don't think I'd have been able to go into ministry in a church that wanted me to leave something behind. So, yeah, MCC completely changed everything there. Um, it was probably my first queer family of choice as well. Like the first time I had a group of people where I knew I was always safe amongst them. So are you um, out at work? Yes, uh, I did wait a couple of years because my role involves dealing with lots of people of lots of different faith communities. And I wanted to wait until people knew me and trusted me with the job. Um, or at least those people, whoever would trust me, were trusting me as much as they could. I realised that because I'd already been moderately publicly out and I was listed as staff at MCC North London, which is very explicitly a queer-affirming church. I wasn't going to be able to keep it completely under lock and key, but I chose not to talk too much about my personal life. But then I got married, and at that point it felt like that's a really big thing to not be discussing. And to, it just got a bit exhausting as well, like changing pronouns and dancing around the issue. I'm not always completely open with everybody because it does depend on the situation and sometimes if I'm talking to someone and they've made an assumption about my partner but the conversation is about them and their life it's not always the right time to say actually my partner's a woman because I don't know their reaction to that might derail whatever it was they came to see me about and their needs 
have to go first so I mean it's never as simple as a yes or no is it <laughs> in in those situations do you feel like you're like closeted in that moment or do you feel like because you're focusing on that person and doing your job to support them that like there isn't really like there's no real element to your identity because you don't really have one in that conversation if that makes sense yeah it does make sense I think I'm aiming at the latter but I can't stop myself feeling a little disloyal to the community and a little like I'm doing something wrong but I also wear a rainbow we've got rainbow lanyards for the LGBT network I did a staff profile for this for the network as well so it doesn't take an awful lot of investigation for people to work it out so I think when I when I feel like I've closeted myself I just have to remember that all the way through Pride Month my face was all over the university notice boards with you know here's a description of my wife and cat so if people the people who need to know can find it can find out and can find me um and i i think the people who i choose not to tell i've probably also made an assessment that our relationship will benefit from not having that conversation for some reason or other because um, you know i'm chaplain to people who are much more conservative than me as well as people who are actually much more liberal than me um and sometimes i have to make sure i'm their chaplain first and not not putting my own my own identity ahead of our needs in that conversation ah, that was um so do you have any particularly good coming out stories Coming out to my mum was interesting, at least the first time. I, I think I sort of came out a few times to my parents because I never really wanted to talk about it. Absolutely no shade on them. They have no problem with it at all, and it was never going to be an issue. It was all my own internalised stuff about what I tell to whom. And, um, and I guess culturally, again, 15-odd years ago, we were carrying a lot about our people getting kicked out of home and all of that kind of stuff. And so there was a lot of projected fear from other people's experiences. And we were just sat, we used to do the Saturday Guardian crossword together. We were just sat doing it. And she asked me if I was gay and I said, yes, what does diaphanous mean? So I was like, I'm not having this conversation. She tried a few times. She once tried in a moving car, which is definitely a time you're not supposed to be having big conversations. Like the only coming out advice I remember reading in every magazine. Because, you know, you used to cut out the columns from the magazine. Well, I used to cut out the columns from girls' magazines if they ever mentioned anything about being gay at all and like squirrel them away in a folder. And they all universally said, don't come out in a moving vehicle. But yeah, she tried to get me to come out in a moving vehicle. Uh, I came out in a moving vehicle. Yeah, I mean, I think for some people it just feels really safe because like nobody's going anywhere and you're not looking at each other. Oh. And there's something really... Um, Claire Balding does that series on Radio 4 where she goes around and takes walks with people and talks to them about their lives. And one of the things she says is not making eye contact is a really powerful way of getting people to open up to you because oh. they don't actually realise how much they're sharing when you're doing something else or... Okay, I'm um, going to start looking at that tree over there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the 
the best bit about that was when I told one of my friends about that conversation and I repeated it more or less the way I have to you. She was eating noodles in a Chinese place in our nearest town and she spat them on the poor bloke sat at the communal table opposite us and was like, you should have warned me. <laughs> Sorry. But generally it was unadventurous. I still occasionally forget because I particularly when I was at university and in my early 20s I got very used to being in majority queer spaces at church and in band and you know wherever I was and I sometimes forget I'm not there um and I made a joke about wearing a pink jumper to another band I play with which is mostly straight folk because most of society is um and somebody said I'd look like a Barbie if I wore too much pink and without even thinking, I said, you know, they don't make a fat dyke Barbie. And her face, I just completely forgot that you're not supposed to say that stuff to straight people because they don't really know where to process it. Um, so there's those kinds of things where you can't, I'm kind of coming out again, which I'm not really intending to do, but they're sort of, I think people can sometimes feel like I'm saying, remember I'm different from you. And all I'm, I'm just reacting wrongly. I'm really socially awkward sometimes in majority straight spaces. I just don't know how straight people want you to behave. I thought that joke was hilarious. I don't think there was anything wrong about it. <laughs> I would have laughed. Um, uh, did you did you come out to God? Do you know, I don't think I did. I, don't, I think I just made the decision that God was okay about it and got on with things. Um, I did a lot of reading. People at church assumed that I just kind of made the decision that was most convenient, which is weird because actually the most convenient thing to do would have been to just go, you're right, guys. You're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. Uh, everything's horrible. I will kneel down on the floor and let you all pray for me in tongues and it'll all be totally fine. And either have then gone to university and canned the whole God thing which a lot of my friends did. Um, and my wife's an atheist, and one of the reasons is because uh, this is her story to tell and not mine, but in a nutshell, her church treated her even worse than mine did. And she just realised that she they made her feel like she had a choice. It was like, God or gay? And she's like, well, fine, I can't change gay, so I guess I'll just can God. Um, and But I don't... I No, I think I just once... Once I've been persuaded by people who know, know more theology than I do that it was okay and that a lot of the scriptural things that were being thrown at us were massively out of context, um, I didn't really feel like I needed to. I have spoken to people who um, they were brought up religious and then they realised that they were gay and that caused a lot of problems for them trying to reconcile those two aspects of their identity. And so they did the, like, they thought they had to reject their faith mm. and came out as gay. And then they started living within the LGBT community. And then they realized that they still weren't, like, happy or confident or comfortable in themselves. And that was because they were denying the aspect of their identity that is tied to their faith. And then they felt like they had to come out again, but as yeah. religious. And this time it was finding a faith that celebrated and 
accepted them, but then they would have to come out as religious to people in the LGBT community. So do you think that you like have to come out as religious to your queer friends? Sometimes. Um, people are a little surprised, but I can make the decision now to just tell people what I do, and that's easier. It's a bit like... I you have know, a girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. It's like coming out as married. I just gently correct people who see my wedding ring and just say, no wife. Um, and then, you they know... see your dog collar. No, I'm not on my way to a party. This is my... Yeah. Oh, and I, I had... Um, I've had a couple of interesting run-ins with Christian Voice. Do you know Christian Voice? Uh, they are the delightful people who used to protest outside Jerry Springer the Opera. Okay. Uh, the guy who played Jerry, uh, who played Satan in Jerry Springer the Opera also used to lead worship at my church, which I loved. I just thought that was brilliant. They never came and picketed church, uh, thankfully, because, I mean, I'd, I'd probably have handled it okay, but you never know who's going to be there. Um, but they did used to pick it outside Gay Sunday at London Zoo, which um, LGSW, the band I was just playing with, used to play at. And they just saw me like wearing all black with a cross around my neck, wandering into the zoo. Like, instantly assumed I was going to be totally on their side. They somehow completely missed that I had a flute slung over my back and a music stand under my arm. But um, so we, and, and they were handing me this leaflet that was like, it was so weird. I mean, they are weird and contradictory people because it was on the one hand it was there shouldn't be gay people in london zoo and on the other it was and gay people are getting all this special treatment like this band full of gay people that are playing for all the gay people and where are the straight people's gay bands very weird um but they were in oxford last weekend and i hadn't i, I didn't think they were still around i didn't realize they were still active um and i was trying to ignore them uh, they'd had a bit of a pop at my wife already. They'd read her as gay and given her a leaflet about same-sex mirage. Um, yeah, they're so funny with their clever puns. And um, and so I was already kind of annoyed and she decided to just check in with the local police station and make sure that they had a licence to be there and see if there was anything we could do about them not being there. Um, and whilst she was on the phone to the police, he came over to me and gave me a leaflet about the Bible. And I said, sorry, I've read the Bible. And he tried to hand it to me again and said, no, I bet there's things in here that you haven't read. I said, I've read the Bible. And he tried again and said, look, I've got a theology degree. I'm a priest. And normally with missionary people, they kind of back off when they realize you're a priest because either you're beyond their help uh, because you've gone off as some kind of heathen or um, it's fine she's one of us but I completely forgot that they're also really anti-women priests so he just started yelling at me in the in front of a church with a woman priest ironically um, who I noticed wasn't around and I was quite grateful for that because she's lovely and doesn't deserve that crap um, and just started yelling at me like you're a rebellious woman you're just like Eve um, and because I'm super dignified and calm, I started yelling back. <laughs> and like we were just playing what one of my friends calls Bible monkeys. Like he'd shout a Bible verse and I'd shout a Bible <laughs> verse. And it was just, yeah, eventually some nice, uh, nice male band bystanders who'd heard me fighting with him took me off into a corner to have a little cry whilst Emily finished up on the phone to the fuzz. But he sounded like a rebellious woman, just like Eve. They sound like compliments. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I, I immediately went home and like tweeted all of the female priests I know going, we're rebellious, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, so final question. Um, what does coming out mean to you? 
think coming out is a process. I think it's often presented again when I was younger I thought it was the thing I'd do once and then obviously as soon as you start talking to people you realize you can't just do it once because even if people are gossiping then the people they're gossiping to are going to come and ask you and then you have to choose when they ask you whether you're going to come out to them and um, it's definitely something that you have to do repeatedly I see it as being a lot broader than sexuality now as well as I get older because I realise that so much of all of our stories are intertwined I really I can't talk about having had mental health problems without talking about my sexuality and I can't easily talk about what it's like being gay without referencing that I spent most of my teenage years with and actually quite a lot of my 20s living with really severe mental health difficulties because the two wove together so tightly that um that those stories become kind of one and some people will only ever know half that story and I guess part of coming out is making the decision about who gets to know which bits of your story um, and and when is it okay not to tell people your story like I, I didn't tell the charming man from Christian Voice that the person he'd been having an argument with earlier was my wife because that would have escalated the situation. I didn't owe him that and I can be okay with that. Um, and I suppose also that's realising that people don't owe you their story either. And sometimes I think particularly amongst and in queer communities, when somebody comes out late, people can be like, why didn't you tell us before? You're basically lying to us nobody owes you their story and that's that's okay too um and i yeah I, th I think i think that's what it's come to mean it's any time i share a piece of my story with someone it feels like a new kind of coming out and uh, sometimes that's something as banal as like uh disclosing that i'm cisgender which isn't a true coming out because it doesn't involve a disclosure that puts you in a position of oppression and I think actually yeah that's the thing I think maybe uh yeah you can come out about really small things but I think coming out always involves an element of owning up to a way in which you're under oppression so there's a stereotype that people of color don't have to come out but I've known people, going back to the NUS again, who were considered too white for black conference, so they kind of had to out themselves as being of Middle Eastern descent um, or having Muslim heritage or whatever it was that made them identify as black, or which was the language that was being used at the time. And, yeah, anything that takes you away from the dominant and puts you in a potential position of vulnerability and oppression, I think. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you've been listening to me, Karis Bradley. I'd like to say a couple of thank yous to the other people who've worked on this project. So Alex Lathbridge, who has helped with the hosting of the podcast and also the compiling of, of the music that you've heard um, and to Scary Boots for creating our incredible artwork. Please subscribe review tell your friends spread the word um, and if you want to get involved and be interviewed on the podcast then there's a link um, on the website and in the bio of our, our twitter so there's a little form that you can fill out i hope you have a lovely day
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.